0: Pick your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 16 this morning. Proverbs chapter 16. Now, if you've been following along, I think I announced in advance uh, kind of the outline we were following in this little study. We started off in our study on family matters in Proverbs. We started off looking at some foundational truths. And you remember the first four weeks we talked about those things that needed to be in place first before we could talk specifics. And then I said, we're going to start talking about some of the specifics. And uh, what did we talk about last week? Last week we talked about finances in our home and things like that. What does the Bible have to say about that? And then I said that we're going to talk about uh, relationships and marriage and sexuality and things like that. And, you know, I have been, I've been agonizing over that, sermon. I really have. And this week I was really struggling with that, and suddenly this thought came to my mind. The little kids are in here during this particular time. And so it was as if God gave me a pass. And I pushed that one to the back. We'll, we'll get to that one eventually. I, I didn't have my nerve worked up to work on it yet anyway. So we'll get to that one later. And we're going to skip to the next topic, which is in Proverbs chapter 16, and verse 32. And let's just read one verse there. Proverbs 16, 32. And I want to talk to you today about what, uh, what does Proverbs have to say about conflict and fighting and things like that. And the title of today's message is, uh, Why Can't We All Just Get Along? Brother Jeff? Why can't we all just get along? Proverbs sixteen thirty two, One verse this morning. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Well, let's ask God's blessing. Father, we pray that you'll guide us today, that you'll fill me with your spirit. We thank you so much for the good service we've had so far, for the... The music, the fellowship, thank you for the sweet testimony that little Logan got saved this, uh, during camp this year. I just pray that you'd bless him as he grows in you. Uh, but Father, now as we uh, turn our attention to the Word, help us to recognize it is the Word. I pray no one would hear me, see me, think about any of this coming from me or my opinion. I pray you'd just hide all that and help this today, Lord, to just be your Word spoken and uh, guide and direct. Fill me with your Spirit. Help me to say only what I should, not anything I ought not And help us, Lord, to have ears to hear. If changes need to be made in our life, if any of this applies to us in a specific way, may we make those changes today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the issues that every believer needs to deal with and every family needs to deal with, every home needs to deal with, is the issue of conflict. The issue of fighting. Should a Christian ever fight? Is there a place in a Christian's life for the use of fists? Or guns, or violence, or war. You know, this world is filled with violence. We just managed to squeak out of Israel before everything just blew to pieces over there. And uh, from some of the friends that we have, uh, we've come to know, and we are still in communication with on Facebook and stuff. It appears that uh, you know tourism continues over there, and people are still visiting Israel. But boy, frankly, I'm quite glad we got out of there. And. Uh, Looking forward to the time that calms down. Maybe we'll go back again someday. But In Gaza and Israel right now, battles are raging. and People are being uh, you know, killed in, in, in ter- terrible acts of violence. In Iraq, unspeakable atrocities are taking place. I don't know if you've been following what's going on in Iraq with this group called ISIS that is just doing terrible things, marching across Iraq and raping and pillaging and, 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 and murdering people. The latest, uh, the latest news item I saw indicated that they're now actually beheading children, lining children up and beheading them. Hmm. Fighting is everywhere. And sometimes our despairing cry goes up, does it not? Why can't we just all get along? Why is this? Why the violence? And what should the Christian response be to such turmoil in our world? How should we react and for the purposes of this study, we're talking about family matters. How should we as parents raise our children? What should we teach them about these kinds of things? How should we train them to react? Of course, we don't have to go overseas to find violence, do we? We certainly can find plenty of that even here in our streets. Crime is far from nonexistent even in this country. And even in our sleepy little town of Randolph, all you have to do is pick up the record courier. And you're going to find ample opportunity to see that violence is here. It's in Randolph. It's even in our own homes sometimes. Some listening to, this, to me this morning might have experience with something like domestic violence. Maybe as a victim. Maybe even as sometime in the past a perpetrator. Now some of you kids may have been bullied at school. It's possible. And some may have even been guilty of doing the bullying. Fighting, violence, conflict, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And we cry, why can't we all just get along? Now, there are those in this country who think they have the answer. There are those in this country who blame all the violence on the fact that instruments of violence exist. Most of you are familiar with the Bill of Rights. We have this thing called the Constitution in America. That Constitution contains a thing called the Bill of Rights, which is the first ten amendments of the Constitution. You've probably heard them. The first one is, uh, is pretty, pretty often quoted, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That's the First Amendment in the Bill of Rights. But the second is also well known. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And that Second Amendment is a great cause of consternation to some in our country. Because they have this interesting notion that if you just remove the instruments of war, war will magically cease to be. Get rid of guns, and killing and violence will stop. It's a position that is devoid of merit. I personally would say it's nonsensical on every level. But nonetheless... It's a position that some people hold because fighting is everywhere and because some people are desperately trying to come up with an answer to the question, why can't we all just get along? And so they think maybe that's the answer. I'm reminded of the despair in Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's poem. You remember? We sing it every Christmas time. Remember what he said? He said, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play.
1: And wild and
0: sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then notice what he said. He said, in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, good will toward man. You know, I looked that up. I did a little research on that particular poem. And I learned that Longfellow put pen to paper and wrote that during the American Civil War. And, of course, you kind of see that despair, don't you, in that last stanza. In despair, I bowed my head. But you know what? We never hear stanzas four and five. It's not in any of our hymn books that I know of. Listen to these stanzas that so seldom get quoted. He said, Then from each black accursed mouth The cannon thundered in the south And with the sound the carols drowned Of peace on earth, goodwill to men It was as if an earthquake rent The hearthstones of a continent And made forlorn the households born Of peace on earth, goodwill to men Why can't we all just get along? Amazing." We don't have to live very long before we, like Longfellow, have that same sense of despair. Where is the peace? Is there any answer to the conflict that rages around us? We know the day is coming, because we read our Bibles, when the lion will lay down with the lamb, And we know the day is coming when men will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. We know that. We know the day of peace is coming when the Prince of Peace will reign forever in Jerusalem. And nations will learn more. No, learn war no more. But it's not today. Today we live in a violent world. And we parents and grandparents must train up our children to live in that world. In such a world. So what do we say to our kids about these things? What do we teach them? Well, Solomon dealt, I think, with the root cause of the problem in Proverbs. And the root cause of the problem is anger. I think most of us would agree. Violence springs from anger usually. And so he had a lot to say about that. And so if we can rightly deal with anger in our lives, if we can teach our children how to rightly deal with anger, then we've, we've got a pretty decent handle on how we can deal with this in our world. That's why our key verse says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. I just want to make two... Two comments about this this morning. Two points to the message today. I want us to notice that first phrase, slow to anger. And I want to emphasize the word slow. And then I want to notice that second, better than the mighty. And I want to emphasize the word better. So first of all, slow to anger with the emphasis on slow. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. The Bible does not teach that anger is always wrong. You you, you, you can't read very far before you realize that. Nor does it teach that it is always wrong to act on our anger. It's not always wrong to fight. That's clearly seen in Scripture. There are numerous examples of the heroes of the faith becoming angry. And I won't go through all these passages of Scripture. If If you want to study this on your own, see me afterwards. I'll give you some of the references. But Jacob got angry. Moses got angry on multiple occasions. When we studied Nehemiah, we, we saw several examples of Nehemiah getting angry, acting upon that anger. And you know, in each of those cases, or at least in most of those cases, it appears that they were justified in their anger, and that their anger was not only justifiable, but it, it was right. There are some examples that, where that's not true. Moses got angry one time and smote the rock, and of course God judged him, and that's why he didn't enter the Promised Land. But many of the times, his anger seemed be justifiable. I know that some teach that we should be pacifists entirely. I know that. Our friends in the Amish and Mennonite community take that stand. And although there is something to be said for the position, and there's even biblical support, uh, at least a little bit, for, for some of that, I don't think it's the position advocated in our text and it's certainly not the position advocated when you take the Bible as a whole. You, say we, you see, we simply can't say that anger is sin. It's not always sin you come up against an impossible-to-resolve problem if you say that anger is always sin, because my Bible tells me God is angry with the wicked every day. How could it possibly be sin if it is true of God? The Bible tells me that Jesus got angry. And if we had time this morning, we could look at some verses like Mark chapter 3, where Jesus displayed anger when he went in and cleansed the temple in Mark chapter 11. In one place there, the word anger is actually seen. It says he was angry. That's when he was in the temple and he was getting ready to heal the man with the withered arm, I believe. And he looked around upon them with anger, the Bible says. And so both God and Jesus, if Jesus got angry, we can't consider anger a sin. Because the Bible is clear that Jesus never sinned. He's the only man who ever lived without committing a single sin. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Obviously, anger can't always be a sin. It certainly wasn't when Jesus was angry. One time Jesus looked around at his enemies and he said, which of you can convict me of a single sin? Can you imagine saying that to somebody? I wouldn't want to say that to my wife. I think that would be a very wise thing to do. I remember one time we had a missionary here. His name is John Stavropoulos. We still support him. And uh, many of you were here that day. And you remember he, he's, he's with new tribes. And he wanted to make a dramatic representation of all of the unreached peoples of the world. And he said, here's all the unreached peoples of the world. And he had this roll of paper. And he went, Whoosh! and that roll of paper just went all the way down to the back of it. it contained just, you know, single-spaced, every unreached people of the world. And I thought, I've oftentimes thought, you know, if I were ever to do what Jesus did there, to my wife, or to maybe even to some of you, and say, which of you convinces me of sin? There would go the great big, big, long list of all of them in me. But that was not the case with Jesus. Jesus was sinless. So anger is obviously not sin. And if God, who is perfectly holy and just and right, who dwells in perfection and cannot be in the very presence of sin, sin can't be anywhere near him. If he gets angry, then we simply cannot make the point that anger is always sin. So the pacifist position can't be sustained there. But with that caveat out of the way, we have to admit something else, though, don't we? We have to admit that it usually is the result of sin. It can't always be, but it usually is. Christ's anger was just, and God's anger is just. But frankly, ours is very seldom just. And therefore, we have all these warnings in Scripture. We're warned all throughout Uh, The Bible. We're warned that anger should generally be avoided. Psalm 37, verse 8, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Paul said to the Ephesians, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. In Colossians chapter 3, he said, You yourselves are to put off all these. Anger. Top of the list. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Paul said to Timothy, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In James, we saw this one when we studied James. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So the Bible's clear. Anger should be generally avoided. Anger is listed in uh, Galatians chapter 5 as one of the works of the flesh. And if we look at the qualifications of those who lead in Christ's church, elders, bishops, we see that a bishop must be blameless, a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine or violence or greedy for money. So how do we resolve this tension? Because there's obviously a tension here, right? How do we resolve this problem that anger is sometimes not sinful, as seen in the fact that Jesus was angry and God is angry, and also the fact that sometimes it is sinful, as seen in the many prohibitions and warnings about it. Well, let me just suggest a couple of resolutions to this problem, maybe. maybe. I don't know if this is satisfactory or not, but it helps me to think this way. I believe if you take the Bible as a whole, you, you come up with this truth. Anger due to an affront to self is almost always sinful. While anger due to an affront to God or his people is often not. Does that make sense? Anger due to an affront to self. Somebody did something nasty to me and I'm angry. Anger due to an affront to self, almost always simple. Anger due to an affront to God or his people, often not. I mean, think about that. That was Jesus' anger in the temple. It was not that somebody had personally insulted him. Somebody had walked up and spit on his face or done something that injured him. It was not that his flesh was screaming for vengeance because he had a personal affront. That was not it. Jesus was angry because the name of God was maligned. Because the house of God was marginalized. Because the worship of God was being destroyed. And that was not sinful. Another thing that I think is helpful is is just basically what our text says this morning, which is anger that is not sinful is arrived at slowly. Slowly. And when we look at the totality of Scripture, and that's what we should always do. We don't take a verse out of context. We don't prove text. We take the Bible and try to apply it all. We arrive at the truth that is found here in our key verse. It does not say to avoid anger entirely. It doesn't say that doesn't say don't be angry. It says be slow to anger. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 19.11 says the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Yes, God gets angry. But the Bible also is very, very clear that he's very slow to getting angry. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 7, but you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abundant in kindness. Psalm 145 and verse 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm really glad that is true. Aren't you? God is slow to anger uh, with respect to my sin, long-suffering with respect to my foolishness. Rather than pour out his anger upon me, as Logan learned at camp, he poured it out on our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus, on that cross, suffered the anger that should have been directed at me. And God's righteous anger over sin was satisfied. So so what is the teaching of the Bible? Is it that we should never get angry? No. It's that we should be slow to anger. It's that we should not enter anger Quickly. We should learn from God's slowness to anger. matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And this is one of those places we ought to imitate him. Slow to anger. So what does it mean to parents? What does it mean to families? What does it mean to homes? Well, obviously it means mom and dad need to model this. You know, if kids see nothing but fighting in a home. If kids see mom and dad at each other's throats all the time. There's no sense having any conversations <laughs> about it because they're seeing it. It needs to be modeled. And, of course, you remember that was our very first foundational truth. It's got to be real in you. It needs to be there. But you also need to teach it to your kids. Teach them the virtue of being slow to anger. And believe me, that will be something that they're not hearing anyplace else. Second thought this morning. Second thought. First, we noticed that phrase, slow to anger. Let's notice that phrase, better than the mighty. Better than the mighty. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You know, most of us are fascinated by warriors. How many of you find warriors interesting? Oh, come on, you're all lying. Every single one of you is fascinated by lawyer, or warriors and, and great fighters. In my day, which was a long time ago, we were glued to the television every time Muhammad Ali was boxing. How many of you even remember who Muhammad Ali was? Okay, at least you'll be honest about something here this morning. (laughs) Nowadays, it's more likely to find somebody fighting with the UFC and the much less civilized form of boxing that we have these days. People are fascinated by that. The NFL makes a lot of money. A lot of money. Because people like to watch their heroes, their warriors, duke it out on the gridiron. The National Hockey League draws some fans who like to watch hockey. I think it draws a few more who like to watch the fights that break out in every hockey game. We like to watch our heroes. We like to watch warriors. Well, you know, in our key verse, that phrase, the mighty, that's what it's referring to. That that word could be translated hero. That word could be translated warrior. And so think about what, what Solomon is saying. Solomon is saying here that to be slow to anger makes you better than those who everybody thinks of as heroes. Who everybody thinks of as mighty men and warriors. The impact of this statement is lost on us a little bit. We're not surrounded by a culture of war as would have been at the time that Solomon wrote this. One person said the saying would have had greater impact when military prowess was held in high regard. It's harder and therefore better to control one's passions than to do some great exploit on the battlefield. It's a hard truth to convince ourselves of, isn't it? That it's better, better to be slow to anger than to fly into the rage that we'd like to at that particular moment. But it's what is being taught here. We have somebody cut us off in traffic, we spend the next 30 minutes going down the road, fantasizing in our mind all sorts of violent things we'd like to do to that person. Am I the only person like this? Surely not. Or perhaps one of your colleagues at work stabs you in the back or takes credit for something that you did. And oh my goodness, what do you spend your time doing? Thinking about how you're going to get even. With that person. Perhaps you spend some time telling them off in the mirror in the men's room, as you're thinking and fantasizing about, you know. The fact is, Solomon tells us here you're a better person than the greatest warrior if you are slow to anger. He tells us here that your victory is greater than the greatest military conquest if you are slow to anger. It's a hard truth to convince ourselves of, but it's true. That word better is important. It's better. To be a peacemaker than it is to be a fighter, to be violent. Hard, but better. Some things Proverbs says about about this whole thing, reasons that it's better. It's better because being slow to anger demonstrates wisdom. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. It's better because being slow to anger stops the fight before it gets started. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 18 says, A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. In other words, cuts it off at the knees before it can even get going. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before quarrel starts. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 3 says, It's better because being slow to anger is honorable. It's honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. And I like that last one. In our day and age, you know, there seems to be some, uh, some virtue ascribed to the idea of telling somebody off. Or some virtue of being able to respond when somebody hurts you. And yet here Solomon and, and, and Proverbs makes it pretty clear, don't it? Any fool can start a quarrel. It's not a virtue. It's not a virtue. It's something the least can do well. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 11, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. So how can we wrap all this up and how can we, how can we apply this to family, to, to our homes? How, how can we wrap this up in a neat package for parents? How can we determine what we should teach our kids? Well, let me just make a few closing thoughts about this and see if this is helpful. Here's some things I think we should teach them as a result of this. Number one, I think we should teach them that we live in a fallen world. That fighting is sometimes part of that. This is not utopia. This is a world that is a result of the fall. And violence and conflict are always going to be a part of that. That context needs to be there. So many people ask the question, why are things the way they are? Go back and read Genesis. Go back and read the first three chapters. It answers that question no matter, no matter what reason you're asking the question. The answer is right there. It's because we live in a fallen world. And we need to, our kids need to understand that. They need to be clear on that. But then teach them to avoid fighting. If there is any other solution, teach them to avoid fighting if there is any other solution. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 30, do not strive with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. In other words, teach them that if possible, walk away from a fight and don't pick fights. Don't pick fights needlessly. Walk away. Teach them to defend the weak. Jesus is our role model here, don't you think? The other heroes of the faith and scripture are also role models. Fight for God. Fight when God or his people are slighted. There are times that it is right to fight. And that's one of them. But then teach them to suffer personal wrongs in silence. Suffer personal wrongs in silence. Again, Jesus is the role model. As he stood mute before Pilate. Suffering. A wrong. A personal wrong and not responding. Teach them to pick friends who won't lead them down a wrong path. As in most areas of our life, friends can lead us astray. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and see a, set a snare for your soul, Proverbs 22:24. 24. Teach them to watch their associations, to stay away from those who pick fights. Teach them to respond to wrongs done against them, but to respond with good not evil, with kindness, not violence. Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Teach them to respond with the better way that is described in our text and throughout the Bible, the way of the peacemaker. Teach them to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil by good, as Paul said in Romans twelve twenty-one. And finally, teach them that God is a righteous God and that he will make everything right. Remember that verse we read a minute ago? God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm chapter 7, verse number 11. You know, that's a terrifying verse. It ought to be a terrifying verse for the unsaved. For someone who has not trusted Christ as their Savior. Think about it. God's anger burns toward the wicked, toward the lost every day. It's it's an amazing verse, but that verse is also comforting to the oppressed, to the ones suffering under the unkindnesses of others, the wickedness of others. God sees it. He's a just judge. He will make it right. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 22. So teach that truth to your kids. Teach it to them. Make sure they know the God who is their champion. Make sure they know the God who fights their battles. God fought for the unjustly accused, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whatever their names were. He fought for Daniel, whose wicked enemies tried to get him killed. He fought for David when he stood against rotten Goliath and listened to his insults and bribes and snipes and comments. And David said it in words that simply cannot be improved upon. He said, the battle is the Lord's. That's what we need to teach our kids. Teach them that, parents. The God who fights for us will eventually make all things right. Do you remember Longfellow's despair? We talked about it at the beginning of the message where he hung his head as he considered the violence that raged around him. When he said, there is no peace on earth, in despair I bowed my head. But then he thought about it a little bit more. And the last verse is such a great verse, one of the most triumphant Uh, verses that I think has ever been written. Because he recognized the battle is the Lord's. He recognized one day soon every injustice will be made just. Every hurt will be healed. He recognized that God can and does fight for us better than we could ever fight for ourselves. And then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to man. Teach that. Teach he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city.